Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. I'm David Jenkins. And I'm Leila Latif. And today we'll be talking about the marvellous return of Scarlett Johansson in Black Widow. We'll also be talking to Black Widow's director, Kate Shortland, as well as the long-delayed festival favourite, Martin Eden, and in film club, Kate Shortland's origin story, her debut feature, Somersault. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Welcome back, David. Welcome back, Layla. So, so much drama kicking off in Europe. Yes, we're talking about Cannes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Yes, of course. Um, Hannah Strong is out there right now for for Little White Lies. We are here reporting from the UK. David, you've been there to Cannes many times. Uh, Is there a particular film you're sad to miss on the Quasette this year? yeah i mean it's 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 always just nice to be there be be part of the mix and uh i mean you've been before yourself michael so you kind of know the the sort of thrum and uh and joy of just being being there and being present um but uh i mean hannah yeah hannah's out there covering for us she's she's filing lots of reviews she's already reviewed the film annette uh which was the opener which um which i got to see as a little sneaky thing before, before the festival. And, uh, she really liked it and I didn't, and didn't like it at all. And there's, uh, uh, you know, I think that that film is going to divide people a lot. That's the new Leos Carax musical, by the way, that has, um, Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard and, uh, uh, an operetta music soundtrack by the band Sparks. And yeah, it's, it's kind of as mad as that's, as that sounds. Um, I think the film that I'm pro there's a couple of things I'm really, really, uh, sad to be missing um there's a new film by the director miguel gomez who's like a portuguese director who made the film taboo and he did um this the trilogy triptych film arabian nights which i was there to see and uh yeah that i'm sad to be missing that hopefully get to see that soon maybe the uh, london film festival same for the new uh apichapong virusethical film uh, memoria which has tilda swinton in it i'm gagging to see that and the new Mia Hansen love film Bergman Island. Um, that, that's probably my top three that I'm I'm dying to see. I, I, I had them in the chamber because I've been thinking about them a lot, and the fact that I'm not seeing them uh, and crying myself to sleep nightly. Oh, you've not mentioned the one that I'm keen to see. Um, it's the new Jacques Odiar film, uh, Paris, Thirteenth District, which I'm keen to see because I like Jacques Odiar's films. But this is an adaptation of the short comics of Adrian Tomine 
who's one of the great graphic novelists uh, working today. And it's going to be fascinating to see how not only Jacques Odia, but one of the segments is written by Celine Siama, how they approach Tomine's work, who's very much an Amer- like an Asian-American uh, comic artist. So it's going to be really fascinating to see that one. That's the one that I can't wait to watch. Layla, um, have you been to Cannes before? I have not. And I'm very curious kind of seeing everyone's relationship with Cannes because it seems to be such a love-hate thing. Like all <laughs> of the film journalists I know love nothing more than to complain about can and then uh, kind of talk about how much they miss can at the same time so I, I feel like I do have to go and do this to myself to kind of enter into this like abusive relationship that everybody seems to be in with the uh, with the south of France in May oh, it, it's pure posturing it's pure posturing it's like it's it, it's that idea of like it, it's almost like saying oh take this caviar away it's too salty kind of thing you know it's like if you're complaining about the the the, the rich expensive foods then that makes you seem like more of a connoisseur than you maybe are so <laughs> well we look forward to reading more of hannah's reviews from from can on lwlies.com and other reviews going up shortly as well but who cares about can where we have when we have the marvel cinematic universe back on our big and small screens this weekend Let's move on to Black Widow. Let's start with a bit of synopsis for Black Widow. Natasha Romanoff, aka the Black Widow, confronts the darker parts of her ledger when a dangerous conspiracy with ties to her past arises. Pursued by a force that will stop at nothing to bring her down, Natasha must deal with her history as a spy and the broken relationships left in her wake long before she became an Avenger. Now, Black Widow was meant to come out last year, um, a long delayed film and the long ingestation production as well, a Black Widow solo movie. We were very fortunate to have a chat with director Kate Shortland, who is the latest in the long line of Marvel directors graduating from independent features to the big budgeted Marvel Cinematic Universe. I started with a question asking Kate about how it's been waiting for a year for your first major blockbuster movie to come out on screens. Kate Shortland, thank you so much for talking with me today. First of all, congratulations on Black Widow. The film is finally out. That must be such a relief. We talk about how 2020 put the world on pause, and I'm sure that hit even harder when it delays the premiere of uh, a big studio film like this. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about seeing it in a cinema. Yeah, we've just gone back into lockdown in Uh Sydney. So I'm like, ah, I just want to get into a cinema with with um, an audience. <laughs> you know, I'm so intrigued by the move from um, independent international co-productions to a big studio film like this. And I'm sure mm-hmm. one of the things going into a project like this that you don't have to worry about usually is the fact that the budget's already sorted and the release date is sorted. And then 2020 mm-hmm. throws everything out the window. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, everything so I- that we thought was sure was totally... Yeah, blown out of the hemisphere. But I, I wanted to ask, what are the other benefits as a filmmaker and a filmmaker, you know, as uh, with, with the long career that you've had, uh, with working uh, with a budget with a few extra zeros on the end and with a studio of the size of Marvel? I think what was really beautiful about it was um, being able to say shoot in Norway and then go to Hungary and you know, choose the most beautiful locations we could find and then go to Morocco and uh, Georgia 
in America. So it was like Marvel wanted to make something that was landscape based and grounded as much as it can be within the Marvel universe. And I felt really lucky that I was able to go to all these incredible places um, and shoot there. And the other thing that was amazing was the visual effects. Right. It's like, if you can't be in the place, then we will create it. And we were, we were in a heat wave in UK shooting and we were shooting a Siberian gulag in the middle of snow. So it was that kind of, that was, that was really fun. That must have been fun because, yeah, so films like Laura and um, Berlin Syndrome have, have such a sense of place, grounded place. And then when you have the budget to either go there or then create it with the toy box at your disposal, uh, yeah, that, and that must be such a different thing. And um, it's great to hear that that was a positive aspect for it for you. Yeah. So I'm trying to piece the timeline together for the project because this is you know, a Black Widow solo film has been talked about for a long time, but how much of that was fan mm-hmm. speculation versus real production. So at what point did you come on board? How long have you been associated with the project? It was really quick. Um, I spoke to Scarlett a few times in Sydney and spoke about our lives and different things. Then I went to LA and I started soon after. So it was, it was um, probably two and a half years, three years, we made the film, but then COVID happened. Mm. So we've waited a year to release it. Yeah. And so had Scarlett had seen Laura, right? Laura, yes. And Somersault. Yeah. So, so what had she seen in that film that she wanted you to bring to this film or those films, I mean? Um, the idea of dealing with ambiguous subjects and interrogating or dissecting the idea of vulnerability and all the the icky, painful stuff that sometimes we probably don't explore in big action movies. So she wanted to bring some of that into this film and the idea that the girl is not a victim but a survivor mm. so natasha is strong but her strength what she's had to do is hide or compartmentalize the parts of herself that let her love or let other people in yeah, that is something fascinating, thinking back across your films after watching Black Widow, as I did um, last night. It is all there, similar themes about um, w- women's struggles, uh, their relationship with their awareness of the world around them, as well as their relationships with the men in their lives, sometimes often quite mm-hmm. abusive, quite controlling relationships, mm-hmm. and then struggling to free themselves from that. However, I suppose you're playing within the heightened metaphors of the superhero genre rather than literally a, a grounded thriller like Berlin Syndrome. I think what was new that I really we really explored in this, which was great for me, was forgiveness. Because they've all been a part of a terrible system. Like the parents were a part of the red room. Um, The parents have done certain things and they're culpable. And now the girls have to face what that means. Mm. And I think a lot of us relate to that with, you know, 
questioning the older generation, what, what the actions they've taken, or even just actions they've taken against us when we were kids. Mm-hmm. And learning about maybe the sort of subtle conditioning we've had as a society, yeah, as a culture, yeah, yeah. maybe pitting us against each other when really we should be building those bridges. Mm-hmm. I think that was quite a, I don't want to say surprising, because it, 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 was, it was a very tender resolution in the back half of the film, I, I thought. But, mm-hmm. uh, but something I'm also intrigued by is your films, uh, going back to films like Somersault Berlin Syndrome, you know, they're, they're quite adult films. They, they deal quite explicitly with, you know, sexual violence or coming of age themes and so on but when you're playing with a broad appeal family film as uh, you know black widow may skew slightly older than other marvel films but it's still for a family audience you have to maybe not shroud or maybe hide some of the some of those themes away and i wonder was that a challenge for you or how did you approach that where you can't necessarily make explicit some of these themes i heard ryan talking about black panther um I just watched him, I think probably when I was going to meet Kevin and Victoria and Lou at Marvel, and he spoke about joy and about fun and about making a film for a big audience. And I thought about kind of asking the audience to come to the circus, come to the fairground and take them on this ride. Mm. And so that was part of what I wanted to do. And I used, we use spectacle and beauty to do that. So, and I love art, so I didn't see it as that different mm-hmm. um, because there's, it's not dialogue driven, it's experiential. Um, and then the other thing that we knew was to use humor because no one wants to sit in a bloody cinema and be lectured to. Mm-hmm. So we could, we could, uh, touch on all these quite difficult topics if we had the girls laughing about it. So mm-hmm. not not diminishing their experience, but saying, okay, I won't let this diminish me. Mm. I will laugh at it. And in the same way Jews do or um, people of colour do, gay people do, they laugh at what has imprisoned them and it gives them a certain freedom. Mm. And I think that's what we exploited in the film. Yeah, the, the way you're talk, just talking there makes me think of one specific um, line. I know you said that it's not always in the dialogue, it's the experiential aspect, but one specific exchange where Florence Pugh's character talks about the, the actual mutilation that these uh, the widows mm-hmm. have to go through, having their you know their reproductive organs kind of ripped out by the red mm-hmm. room, and but that's couched within a, a sort of a, a humorous exchange almost because she's showing mm-hmm. up how clueless um you know the, the father character is because he you know he's, he's sort of getting a bit nostalgic at that point uh, but that seems like an example yeah, that, of what was, you're saying. that was a great I mean that was so gendered even in the writing so what happened was Eric Pearson had written a joke about um women being in a bad mood when they get their period and so Florence Scarlett and I were just like, oh, my God, this is just so dumb. And then um, Nicole Holofcener came on to do um, a bit of a dialogue polish with me at the end, right before we shot, um, because I'd asked the studio if she could join us. And she said, oh, no, we don't take it out. We'll just, we'll answer it. We'll get the girls mm. to answer it. And so she was punching things up by not diminishing the sort of the um, politically 
incorrect stuff, but saying, okay, let's get the women in there and get their hands dirty too. Mm -hmm. And I think that was fun. And I think it made the film more robust and it made the girls, um, it made the girls tough because Mm -hmm. they didn't back down or squirm. They kind of went, oh, I'll talk. If you want to talk about this, I'll talk about it. That's really fascinating. We only have a few minutes left and I would like to ask about Somersault since we're going to be talking about it on the podcast. I wonder when I mention Somersault as a project, what comes to mind for you? What memories you have of that film? Um, Abby Cornish mm. um, and shooting in such a beautiful, bleak part of Australia. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was an amazing for me it was my first feature so I was yeah. so nervous but it was it was a great experience yeah is, is there anything that you learned on that project of course you'd made shorts beforehand it wasn't like you were a completely you know complete greenhorn but uh, anything you learned on that project that you still use today you still rely on today silence um I think it's at your best enemy so when people say or your best friend when people say um you can't do that. Um, rather than argue, just stay silent and do it anyway. Mm. Great, great, great thing to learn. I found it interesting reading back some old interviews with you from around the time of Somersault that the working title of that was More Than Scarlet, which also you could almost put as a subhead for a <laughs> review of Black Widow because it's such a great ensemble movie. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Kate Shortland, thank you so much for talking with me. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thank you to Kate Shortland there, giving us some insights into the production of Black Widow. So, Layla, this film has been talked about for God, almost a decade now, uh, mm-hmm. since Black Widow sort of sort of stole scenes in the Avengers movies. 
has it been worth the wait? Um, yeah, it's a very interestingly like long wait because they did seem to almost like studiously and determinedly not give Black Widow her own film. Like, and they eventually waited until she was dead, and to, even though they had one of the biggest stars in the world and arguably like one of the best actors in that Marvel Cinematic Universe at their disposal, then they wait till she dies and then they give her this kind of prequel, where um, <clears throat> you know I think we saw a lot of um, the kind of frustrating things about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like the fact that we had this great backstory, we had a potential for a lot of kind of different routes that we could go, like, you know, um, Black Widow doesn't have superpowers in the same way, so there was potential to kind of do something a little bit more brutal, a little bit more, um, you know, rather than having people crashing through the sky we could have had an old boy style fight with a hammer and really just kind of gotten into like what it means to kind of battle people when you're human as opposed to kind of have the mythic powers of Thor so I mean for me it was a film of two halves um I really enjoyed the dysfunctional family reunion side of things I really enjoyed things where um you know Natasha is reunited with her kind of quasi sister who was you know the fake sister that she had when she was in a Russian spy family and they're just sitting around having beers and having uh you know a conversation about like what it means to have been brought up in this horrifically dysfunctional way when it goes full marvel when we get to these big set pieces where despite the fact that these people have superpower don't have superpowers they seem to be totally impervious to any injury like it really got quite dull for me mm-hmm. Um, but David Harp, uh, Rachel Weiss is these sort of really ludicrous parental figures that they had. Florence Pugh is like absolutely magnetic and the film is very much passing the baton onto her to start the, um, start a kind of new Marvel franchise. And all of that was kind of encouraging for the future of where it could go. But then it kind of leaned back on all of like the worst impulses of this character. Like it kept going on about how like her fertility made her like such a monster, which is bizarre because like hardly any of the Avengers have kids anyway. Um, And then there was, I mean, my least favorite thing that has probably ever happened in the entire Marvel universe is that sort of race to suicide that happens in Avengers endgame i believe it is and her and hawkeye and i hate hawkeye are just kind of running towards this cliff and like who will sacrifice themselves first they really kind of lean into kind of versions of that which i just found appalling and like worst of all it kind of the end it tried to make me care about hawkeye again and it just to me seemed like a moment of like oh we're getting rid of this like wonderfully charismatic actress who actually has now a kind of interesting group of people around her in exchange for kind of white male mediocrity in Jeremy Renner. Oh, wow. Jeremy Renner, the poster child <laughs> for, for, for that. Um, yeah, I, I find it interesting. You do talk about... It is... You do have two sides to the Marvel Cinematic Universe coin, don't you, stylistically? You, you do have generally very well cast characters very charismatic actors and ensembles particularly in this film sometimes given quite good subplots personal plots character arcs that you are interested invested in and then they just can't resist some quite unspectacular spectacle action and as you say there's a chance here with black widow in some ways this stylistically ties back to captain america the winter soldier which was a more grounded depowered you know 
street level action film but they couldn't resist bringing david harbour who's a, char- a new character for the, the cinematic franchise as S- russia's answer to captain america a super soldier so they can then bring in some very you know overpowered action quite early on and not have yeah. to rely too much on just humans and figuring out how to fight through their yeah. problems uh, I, but i have to say sorry um but I think to credit to Kate Shortland, at least with something like Captain America and the Winter Soldier, we're kind of moving action forward because of like the nature of this, because it's slotted in between, I suppose, mm. Avengers and Captain America Civil War. Like nothing that happens can have any consequence for anything before or afterwards. So the whole thing is kind of boxed into being kind of inconsequential. Absolutely. So, D- David, we've had you on a couple of episodes now where we were talking about blockbuster cinema or action cinema, post-narrative cinema with Resident Evil and Fast 9. Where do you land on, on the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Black Widow in particular? Well, I mean, it's interesting because I think some of this, I think one of the weird things about Marvel that I, I have is that I just, I, I, I have this kind of weird inability to soak up any of the kind of lore and any of the any any of the sort of soap opera of it all and so part of one of the thing that i i really i don't like about the films uh is that they are that that they are kind of like you have to watch them with a lot of kind of knowledge of of how you know where how things have gone before where characters have come from where they're going what what certain cameos mean reintroductions of things it's it's all this kind of insider joke that i just don't have it you know it's not that i don't get it but i just don't care for it and um and for me the the black widow was is, is something of a kind of not a perfect film but like my my preferred type of marvel movie in that as as layla says it is kind of boxed in it's it's it's, its own little kind of side quest thing that is that doesn't have these little kind of nods and winks all the way through. And you, you're probably not going to get the kind of Marvel hardcore types um, who, going in and like gasping when they see some character in the background or there's some sort of like montage of, of X popping up and going, oh, he popped up here, which means that he's going to do this to that to the other thing. So, 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 yeah. For me, that it was a big advantage of of the, of the fact that they've gone for such a kind of hemmed in storyline. Um, but, but, but also, I mean, something again, like maybe you guys can correct me because my, my my sort of knowledge of of Mar- like as I say, I've seen most of the Marvel movies. I just can't remember them. <laughs> uh, but, but th- it seemed rare that this this film, like the sort of storyline of this film, was very kind of gritty in a way um or, or at least grittier than we've come to expect from marvel movies because i i kind of read it as a story about kind of you know people trafficking and some some pretty kind of dark subject matter not subject matter that is treated necessarily head-on but it's definitely alluded to in a way that makes it feel like quite prominent uh that there, there is this kind of ex- I mean, one of the things about the Marvel Universe, again, Layla, you, 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 Michael, correct me if I'm wrong here, but like um, sex doesn't exist in the Marvel Universe. People don't have sex. Mm. They don't talk about it. It's not a thing. You know, it's like it's this other world. And maybe, maybe that is is is, a, is is down to kind of Disney, Marvel Studios, whatever. They've, there's some kind of like, you know, mandate that that, 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 shall, that SEX shall not be spoken of. But there's a really bracing moment where where Florence Pugh's character is having this conversation with her kind of surrogate estranged father 
who is kind of moaning at her. Uh, he makes this, I won't say what it is, but he makes this kind of quip, sexist quip. And she kind of comes back at him with this kind of tirade that's really quite strong about like the realities of being trafficked and what that means and being turned into this kind of human commodity that, that actually kind of directly hits something in the real world, which is just something that I don't feel I've, I've ever, or at least can remember seeing in a, in a Marvel movie. And I think it, and and, and it does that in a way that's quite kind of, I mean, it, it does it in a way that, it turns it into a kind of okay that this is the storyline we need to re- you know it's about rescuing these 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 lost women these women who are from the fringes who have been exploited and we're gonna we're gonna rescue them from this evil Russian dude played by Ray Ray Ray, uh, um, Ray Winston. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> it's 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 not a, not good casting. I, I mean. No, I don't think anyone's doing their own accents in that film. <laughs> apart, <laughs> apart. I mean, it's. I think the. I was going to say actually, the the only reason that you know Scarlett Johansson is the main character is because she's the only one doing her own accent. Um, but mm. um, yeah, to, I, 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 I'll stop there and flip it back to you guys because maybe you can respond to some of that and maybe because I'm I'm absolutely um, conceded to the fact that I may have like miscalled this these little kind of things that I liked about the film. Well, actually, it, we we discussed that in the interview with with Kate Shortland about how you know, her. We'll talk about this as well later with when we when we move on to Somersault. Her cinema is very much about young women and their struggles, often against the men in their lives, figuring out their own identity, their own sexuality, it's, and, and so on. Often quite violent, abusive situations, and she. There, some of that is here, admittedly translated into the metaphors of the Marvel universe, but still you could say something that you can level at many other Marvel movies is they're not necessarily about anything. And it feels that Black Widow is about something, about conditioning, about, as you say, trafficking and emotional abuse, psychological abuse um, that women go through and con- are conditioned to be, to fight against each other when they could come together and uh, overcome Ray Winston and his bad accent. But it's not as... Um, let's say not as comprehensive and a a message as something like black panther which felt like a, a real well thought out comprehensive worldview in in a movie as much as a, a disney marvel project can be but it does feel like there was something more going on there i don't know layla what, what did you think about all that aspect yeah and i think that side of it is was really where the film was the strongest where it's kind of like you know, survivor's remorse for many respects from Scarlett Johansson's characters versus Florence Pugh, the guilt that kind of David Harbour and Rachel Weisz's characters have to deal with. And I think what I like about Kate Shortland is that she's able to make people complicated without necessarily redeeming the things that they do. Um, and I think she brought that to this, which just made me all the more frustrated that like, there's not going to be more of them. But mm-hmm. yeah, in terms of sexuality, I think you're right. I think this is definitely, like to put it crudely, the horniest of all the Marvel films. <laughs> um, like, And it was really kind of refreshing because I know recently there's been all of this stuff about like what the expectations we have for like male action stars and what they have to put their bodies through in order to be you know, acceptable to the Marvel, um, to the Marvel eye, I suppose. And like to see kind of this like super hot David Harbour with like just full dad bod and just, you know, and that kind of moment where him and Rachel Weisz are kind of like just 
there's a real spark between them. Like it was actually really refreshing to see. But yeah, it was that Kate Shortland thing that I think, you know, we can, I've seen in Berlin Syndrome and seen in Somersault, if you can have men doing awful things and we're not saying that that's okay what he's done, but we are saying that he's a complicated Person. I, I, yeah. I just want to give it. I know we get that 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 Florence Pugh has basically kind of drawn most of the, the most of the headlines for this film, and she's really good in it. And you know, she had. She, I don't. She has. I think she has more of the kind of emotional extremes, highs and lows, in her kind of mm-hmm. script. But I just want to give a shout out to to Rachel Vice, who I think is is really good in a kind of quite weird role in a way <laughs> that that, mm. that it actually involves su- suppressing all emotion um and it's 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 a kind of strange creepy role that, that you don't really see in uh, yeah like the, uh, yeah I, I i think she's a really good actress and she's still being a good actress in this film yeah i think i think the whole ensemble uh, it works really well together if anything I think Scarlett Johansson is a little bit overshadowed by them. And this is maybe just be me. It feels that Marvel don't really know what to do with Black Widow yet. And they're already halfway passing the baton to Florence Pugh, setting her up as being a key feature in the next phase of the Marvel Universe. She's going to be, sorry, Layla, she's going to be in the Hawkeye TV series next. I know, my heart (laughs) sank. But let, let's hold on because it's going to be eventually it's going to be Florence Pugh and Haley Steinfeld, which could be a good double act, I think. Yeah, I would say I was not a big fan of um, the um, of Wanda and Vision, and I did mm. quite enjoy Wanda Vision. So, but I really think it's unlikely that Jeremy Renner is going to be able to win me over, unless it's like this, and where actually Florence Pugh kind of turns out to be the star. Hopefully. So Leila, let's put some scores on this. In anticipation, enjoyment, in retrospect. Uh, in anticipation, probably a four, because I would, you know, follow Florence Pugh to the ends of the earth. Uh, enjoyment, probably a three. I just found myself really kind of glazing over in a lot of the larger action sequences um, and that just seem to have like no weight to them. I do think it is interesting that they say if you direct a Marvel film, you don't get to direct the action sequences. So for me, it's kind of noticeable that they were weaker. And then probably in retrospect of four, because I do think that there's, um, you know, a a decent amount of like world building and emotional lifting that they managed to do, even with the kind of restrictions of the narrative. David? I go for... uh... Probably a three in anticipation, which is maybe a bit higher than usual for a Marvel movie, just because I think uh, Kate Shortland is interesting and, yeah, Florence Pugh is interesting. So there's, my, my interest is picked more on that side of things. Uh, I, th- I think it's probably threes threes across the board. Um, mm. I, 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 I thought this was a – I did think this was a, good, a really good film and I came away from it thinking, yeah, this is like – definitely better than you know, than your average marvel movie for me uh none of the kind of sturm and drang and self-importance and grandiose kind of melodrama that you that, that's been sort of like you know wadded onto these 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 mega avengers movies which i can't stand but like the uh the, the yeah i i thought it's, it's it's a kind of small film in a way and i kind of kind of like that um mm. uh yeah in retrospect i think i i i mean i was 
I, I kind of was thinking about coming to this podcast this morning. I was like, oh, what films are we doing again? And I'd kind of almost forgotten that I'd seen it. So like, <laughs> I was like, mm, I, must see, I must remember to say that because that's that's a good in retrospect thing. So, yeah, I, mm. I, I'm not sure it's one I'll be needing to revisit, but glad I saw it. Yeah, this is a this is a textbook 3.5 for mm. me if we were allowed halves. So probably three in anticipation, only because I think the heat, the the momentum behind the Marvel Cinematic Universe was really harmed by that year break. If if this had come out last summer, as it should have done, teeing up Eternals and all of the other films coming out, um, it, it would have gone straight in. But now I'm thinking, you know, well, do I have to see all the Marvel films? I mean, obviously I will, but... It, it, it has lost a little bit of that momentum for me, but I did enjoy it. As soon as I sat down, it's good being in that world. As we said, the ensemble is fantastic. And yes, it is a little bit, in retrospect, maybe forgettable, but um, certainly a lot there to keep me excited for what's coming next, even if Jeremy Renner is starring in Hawkeye. Yeah. And that's the next place we'll see Florence Pugh. Apologies to any Jeremy Renner stands out there. If you want to defend his honour, you can do so at the usual uh, channels at Lies on Twitter or truthandmovies at tcolondon.com. Let us know what you think of Black Widow as well, as that hits the big screen this weekend and is also premier access on Disney Plus 2 if you want to watch at home. Up next, we have Martin Eden. Working class sailor Martin Eden has his fate changed forever when he defends a young boy from a beating by a security guard on the docks. The boy repays him for his kindness by inviting him into his bourgeois home, and it's there that Eden meets Elena the daughter of an upper-crust industrial family. It's love at first sight for Eden, and he resolves to become an accomplished writer to elevate himself to the family's social standing and eventually marry her. But along the way, he experiences something of a political awakening. So, David, this film premiered at Venice in 2019, won awards there, particularly Best Actor, then came out in the States last year, and it's finally coming out here now. So it's one it's one of those rare films where it was on people's end of year lists both in 2019 and 2020. So I was really excited <laughs> to watch this film. What what's all the fuss about? And and 2021 probably. <laughs> um yeah. so yeah you, you have this director called called Pietro Marcello who people have had their eye on for for quite a while. Uh, I remember seeing a film of his of a couple of years back called Lost and Beautiful and being really beguiled by it. It's this kind of sort of very weird, bucolic, poetic fantasy film that I think's going to get a release here alongside Martin Eden um, as a, as a kind of you know Pietro Mar- Marcello special double double feature, and um, and yeah, I, I, I'd kind of been waiting to see what he was going to do next, and then this and then this turned up in Venice in 2019 when I was there, and it really kind of I think I think in Ven- Venice has this weird thing of like when you're there they they play like lots lots of italian films are put into the competition for for kind of you know i guess for sort of local political reasons and a lot of them are not very good and and it's kind of because it's a bit of an open secret that like mo- most italian films just get bunged into the to the venice competition by as a kind of like standard thing so you, i think lots of people tend to sort of swerve them but this one was a, was obviously like a kind of you know a standout um and you could tell quite quite early on because it has these kind of 
very you know little sort of stylized inserts of like colorized silent film footage that kind of cut, cut like you know that almost sort of cut up the sort of chapter headings um the story is is based on the, the, a novel by jack london and it's really a novel i haven't read but um it feels like a kind of very kind of quite, it feels like a good adaptation in that you, you wouldn't necessarily watch it and think oh that was that was obviously been abridged from a novel uh if it, the arc of it is done is, is pieced out very well and the and the and the way the story the fluidity of the story and what's been kind of told is 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 is, is, is makes the film very sort of satisfying um it reminds me actually of a film that i uh and a book that i studied at like gcse english called uh called educating rita by willie russell i don't know if you've ever seen that the there's a film version with uh, Julie Walters and, and Michael Caine. Uh, in my, in, in, I haven't seen it for a long time, but me- my memory of it is that it's horrendously misogynist because you have like Julie Walters, who's like this working class scouser going to university, being taught by um, Michael Caine as the English lecture- lecturer. And he, he like educates her and she, and then, but becomes upset that because that she's not, she's kind of given up her working class grit that he loved about her. And there's a kind of like women know your limits kind of vibe to it. Uh, so I just wanted to get that off my back. Cause it's been, on, it, uh, <laughs> it's kind of like a fright, like, but I think the, the reason, the reason why, why I wanted to mention it is because like, it's a kind of loose, that, that film is a loose adaptation of Frankenstein. And, and I think that in a way, as, as much as this is, a, this is probably, you know, ripped from Jack London, I think that Martin Eden also has this kind of Frankenstein vibe to it of like, you know, this, you know, you, you can kind of question how much the, the Martin Eden character is a kind of Frankenstein's monster in a way in the, in the edge that this kind of how education um, changes him for the best, for better and for worse. Um, I mean, it's, re- you know, it's really kind of dealing with this quite complex, morally, ethically slippery thing about the kind of, you know, it is a film about the uh, the power of education and what and 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 how that kind of you know allows you to communicate with people in different ways and um, and how how you can wield it in different ways. And he he kind of obviously uses it to sort of inveigle his way into society a bit more, but then actually ends up sort of rejecting it a bit a bit more as well. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's 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 a really amazing film, I think. Um, I, I, yeah. I, I, I really, really loved it. Layla, what did you make of this? And what did you make of Luca Marinelli, the actor who plays Martin Eden? This is sort of a position as almost his breakthrough role onto a world stage. Um, yeah, no, I absolutely, I just thought this film was absolutely wonderful. Um, the only thing I'd seen Luca Marinelli in before was... Um, the Old Guard with Charlie's Theron, that rather forgettable Netflix film, but he's a real highlight in that with his like lovely love story that's been going on for centuries. Um, I just thought he was absolutely astonishing. I'm not surprised that he picked up awards because he sort of is able to play this quite specific person and he gives them like this kind of weight of an archetype, almost like we're seeing like a Faust or a, or like a, and, and then he himself becomes almost like a living Dorian Gray portrait where it's like all of these sort of sinful things and all this sort of internal degrading is like very expressed very much externally on him and his hair and his browning teeth and even his like posture. But yeah, I just thought it had such kind of fascinating resonance as well. I mean, it's a beautiful film. It's like the, this kind of gauzy quality of light is so stunning and everything about it is so timeless. Like at times it seems to be 
taking place like a hundred years ago and at times it seems to be in the 80s but that for me just kind of built this like kind of almost Sisyphean hellish world that he's in where he's kind of doomed to like continually struggle and time doesn't really mean anything and you'll just work to get the things that you want but then when you get them you hate them and yeah it had a lot of uh, yeah it had a lot of power for me I really loved it I just kind of spent ages thinking about it and like this morning it kind of struck me as just like you know this is like the perfect film that (laughs) expresses the kind of transition from Blairite Britain to Brexit Britain but if you sort of have this idea about like everything's about pull yourself up from your bootstraps and like you know social mobility is like the most important thing then it's a very short walk to kind of neo-fascism and like yeah there's just so many layers to unpick with this I really loved it and so sort of subtly and effortlessly intriguing as a film as you say David it has all of that this archive footage colorized footage that comes from varying you know periods of history likewise the music seems to be very sort of late 70s 80s synth disco at times and then Luca Marinelli himself feels like a man out of time it's amazing to think that a man who looks like that exists because he does seem like he's stepped off the page of a of a, of a Jack London adventure novel from the 1910s or 20s or something with sort of big barrel broad chest beautiful face it's it's not no surprise that he then was cast in the old guard as somebody who'd been you know, centuries old. Uh, but let's put some scores on this. David, what scores would you give Martin Eden? Well, I'd probably, I'd probably give it an- Anticipation 4 because, I, as I said, I, I, I was really excited to, to see this director after having seen Lost and Beautiful so many years ago. And uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm now excited to see whatever it is he's done, he, he's done or doing next. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'd probably give it a, a, a 4 in Anticipation. And maybe I'd give it fives, actually. I think it's like, I think one of the things about it that I think is interesting, and, and, and I think it's a film that's probably going to, especially because of all the delays and the fact that it's come out in all these other territories before, is that it it might, you know, I think on the, on the surface, it might look like a sort of fairly standard issue literary adaptation, like, you know, vintage set in the past, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's I think it's one of those, it, it, it and, and in a way it kind of, does deal in you know it does sort of speak in that language a bit but like it's doing so much other stuff as well like you know it 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 taught it's there's a real kind of confidence to it where it kind of as you say it toys with time and place and and politics and and metaphor and all this kind of stuff so like you know it's it's just it's just a really really rich film but done you know the that richness is delivered in a really subtle and satisfying way Mm. Layla, what scores would you give it? Um, well, when I was uh, working on the Mank issue of Little White Lies, I actually transcribed an interview with this director and he was just so interesting to listen to. So I was probably at a five coming in because I was really fascinated to kind of finally see what um, he had been talking about and then probably for enjoying it. Like, I, you know, I did think it was beautiful. The acting was lovely. But then really in retrospect, it became a five for me because I just, there were so many kind of layers that I kind of teased out thinking about it afterwards yeah very impressed by it yeah very impressed with it same here um fours across the board for me but i think this is one that on rewatch because of all those elements that are so rich as you said david i think this could go up to a five on a rewatch 
But listeners, let us know what you think. That's a strong recommendation from the three of us for Martin Eden and a bit of a recommendation for Black Widow too, if you're a fan of that sort of film. Let us know what you think at LWLies on Twitter or email us at truthandmovies at tcolondon.com. Up next, Film Club, back to Kate Shortland, the beginning of her career with her first film, Somersault. After making a misjudged advance towards her mother's boyfriend, 16-year-old Heidi flees her home for the small Australian ski town of Jindabyne. Entranced by the startling beauty of the wintry landscapes and falling snow, she begins to create a new life for herself. When she falls for Joe, the son of a wealthy local farmer, her self-destructive tendencies resurface and her fragile new world threatens to come tumbling down. Now, this film was an award winner in Australia, as well as the breakout film for both Abby Cornish and Sam Worthington, who went on to success in Hollywood afterwards. So Layla, we're watching this for Black Widow. We're going from a $200 million movie to probably not even a $2 million movie here. Uh, do, do we see the links between Somersault and Black Widow? Uh, a little. Um, I, I mean, I really liked Somersault. Um, I liked the way that it kind of played with femininity and this idea of like, oh, you find yourself like very alluring to men and you can sort of misguidedly view that as power when it's actually like vulnerability. And I like the way that she had a lot of kind of empathy for everyone that was on screen. And um, yeah, and I, and I thought it was very beautiful with that kind of ethereal blue um, Mm. uh, tone that everything takes. I don't know if somebody didn't tell you that this was the same director, that there's much that you could, kind of tease out that was similar between them like certainly like in retrospect knowing this I can kind of go to moments where Florence Pugh and uh and Scarlett Johansson are having a beer and think like oh yeah no that gentle conversation where people are really just laying themselves on the line and letting themselves be a little vulnerable for each other I can see shades of that in like some of the really lovely interactions between Heidi and Joe but um, yeah, the Marvel machine makes what it wants to make, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I thought that the, the opening scene of of um, Black Widow is this shot of of the kid uh, of young Natasha cycling on a BMX through the the kind of Ohio suburbs with sort of like glistening light in the back, like backlit, and um, and it's done in the in I think it's done in slow mo. Um, and and then she sort of goes to play with her sister, and and that de- that 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 felt very shortlandy. I thought that kind of in, that sort of family intro bit the, right at the beginning. I think all the kind of my, I I thought all the stuff in Black Widow that was like people talking in rooms, and there is and there is like a lot of that for, for a Marvel movie. Um, and 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 it, you know, the, the, I think that in fact maybe going back to Mar- to Black Widow for a second. I think what what Kate Shortland does is like it's people talking in rooms, but not just exposition. It's actually mm. <laughs> they're actually having like conversations and and building character rather than like we need to go to this place and blow this person up and blah blah blah. You know, <laughs> so so, so I, th- I I think that idea of like actually like people talking about feelings and uh, and and ideas is 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 seen a lot in uh, in. Um, in 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 somersault 
Yeah, although it's such an interesting film. Of course, it has lots of the aspects of first features where maybe tonally things can be rocky at times, but where it lands in this very ambiguous uh, sort of tone where it is about the buried emotions, people who are not able to just come out and build those bridges or rebuild bridges, you know, reach out to one another. It, it, there's something there. It's quite a fascinating film that books all of these probably very harmful and outdated stereotypes we may have of Australia, not only because it's shot in the Australian Alps where it is an incredibly cold and forbidding landscape, which we don't really see. There was a film made a few years after this called Jindabyne with Gabriel Byrne, uh, but, but there aren't many films shot in this area of the world, you know, we, we would much rather, you know, what comes to mind for us with Australian cinema is uh, something like Wake in Fright, so the, the baking heat uh, uh, of Australia. So quite something quite different here. But watching this, Sam Worthington has a, a real energy and vibe in this film. And then he just ne- has never found that again when he went to Hollywood. He was very overexposed in three major features in the same year, Clash of the Titans, Avatar and Terminator Salvation. And I don't think ever really... Um, what a strange came career back from that. <laughs> I must say, I've not seen any of those three films. <laughs> what did you make of Sam Worthington in this then, uh, Layla? Oh, I thought he was wonderful. I assume mm. Sam Worthington, like this lovely indie actor, he's done the same <laughs> thing. Uh, I think I may have seen Avatar, I can't remember. Um, yeah, no, I thought he was great. And I really like thought his approach to sort of playing conflicted sexuality was mm. really understated and done in a, like, he does less it sort of makes it all the more heartbreaking um mm-hmm. yeah hopefully he'll return to that at some point there was a clash of the titans film yes. he was in <laughs> two of them really? clash and wrath of the titans there was a film wow both bad wow <laughs> okay. they they yeah the, the sec just to give you an idea of, of how 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 long it's been the second one was like a retrofitted 3d film which you could bet like i remember watching in 3d and it was like physically unwatchable because it was done so wow. badly anyway sat sam worthington yeah what a what a bizarre career that man's had he's kind of like hollywood he was hollywood's darling for like one year and then just chewed up and spat out though i guess he's going to be in the um avatar sequels so we should be seeing some more of him soon like i i, I imagine i don't believe that those will actually yeah. ever come out <laughs> the, <laughs> there's all this stuff of them being shot though <laughs> But I, 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 I thought this film was impressive. Yeah. And, and yeah, I agree that I like this idea of like, I, th- I think the way it deals with the sexuality in the film is, is not, it's done in a, in a way that's quite, is, that is subtle and not signposted. And it's actually quite surprised that when these kind of twists happen, it's actually quite surprising rather than just like, oh, well, I saw that coming, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, I think, I think at, like, again, at like, I know I, I don't want to be like oh Sam Worthington is, is is has been the kind of disappointment, but like I almost feel that Abby Cornish as well. Like there's been I think what what after this film I remember there being you know she was like you know on everyone's lips and being you know being cast in the you know she went straight to Hollywood after this and never really like to my mind has kind of uh, I mean I've seen it I think I've seen a fair few of her films, but like I, I've never thought you know seeing 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 Somersault where she is like the central focus of things. I think maybe the only other thing is, is Bright Star, the Jane Campion film. 
she was really excellent in that playing actually a very similar conflicted shy character um mm. uh, so, so i think she's definitely got like that is her sort of thing like um but yeah it, it's it's good to see her actually sort of you know do you know doing doing some good work because i think that she's just yeah she's un- underused or, or maybe not used in the in the right way in her kind of hollywood films yeah would we recommend so we've gone from black widow back to some assault in between um kate shortland traveled the world moved from australia to to germany and made laura and berlin syndrome would we recommend those two films uh, i haven't seen laura but i love berlin syndrome like mm. um and that's i think she gets really great performances out of her actors to be honest and she's able to kind of get them to do a lot whilst they're doing very little um and yeah, I mean, it is kind of nice that, like, I suppose it's the Patty Jenkins route where you do, like, this, like, little indie thing and then you, um, you know, just get kind of stratospherically um, given this giant budget and you see whether or not you can keep any of your identity whilst you do it, which is kind of the story of Martin Eden. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I think she's retained some of herself and, like, I'm hoping that she isn't going to entirely stay in this sort of action realm like Patty Jenkins did and maybe give us some, some more subtle work. Hmm. I, th- I saw Laura and, and I, I, I don't remember loving it. It's an, it's a really interesting film of like um, the, the story, just quickly going the story of that. It's like, cause, cause I think it does relate to black widow quite a bit, actually. It's like, it's sort of the end of Nazi Germany and uh, this, this not the a family of Nazis, the parents like, kill themselves leaving the the three daughters destitute to go and fend for themselves as the as the kind of russians and allies are are, are kind of encroaching so it it becomes a kind of it's a bit like kind of grave of the fireflies but like with with sort of nazis uh but 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 no it just i just remember it not working (laughs) at all and being very very over the top um so but 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 yeah i think like it, it does that thing in the same in the same way that you have like these two kind of you know you're rooting for two assassins in uh, in Black Widow you know you're 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 kind of weirdly sort of rooting almost for for sort of Nazi children in uh, in Laura, but also one to probably go back and watch because it has another great performance by a young actress, doesn't it? Saskia Rosenthal mm. is is great in that film as um as you said, Layla, um, Teresa Palmer in Berlin Syndrome. So it really does feel like Kate Shortland is so good at bringing these performances out of young actors. And that's what she said. Scarlett Johansson, you know, saw Somersault and Laura and saw something in those films that she wanted to bring to the Black Widow project. But listeners, if you do go on a bit of a Kate Shortland bender and watch all of her films, let us know what you think, uh, what you're taking from those films at the usual channels at LW Lies on Twitter or truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email. Next week, Space Jam 2, Woo! the sequel we've all been waiting for for these nearly 30 years. Then we have Summer of Soul and for Film Club, Love and Basketball. David, Layla, thank you so much for joining me this week. It's been such a pleasure talking through these films with you. Listeners, please subscribe wherever you pod. If your podcast player of choice lets you leave reviews, we'd love if you left one for us as well. I'm Michael Eder. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.